White Rocket Entertainment, podcast number 563. The White Rocket Babylon 5 Review Podcast is brought to you by people like you, our Patreon.com family. To join the ranks and help us keep the show going, visit www.b5review.com. That's www.b5review.com and click on the button to become a patron. It's the White Rocket Babylon 5 Review Podcast. Reviewing the entire Babylon 5 series, plus Crusade and everything else. Now here are your hosts, Van Allen Plexico and Andy Fix. Andy Fix is here. I am. I'm Van Allen Plexico and I'm here. We're ready to talk about the second go-round of Season 2 of Babylon 5 on the White Rocket Babylon 5 Review Podcast. And Andy, you and I have now gotten into the second season. We did the first episode and the second episode last time. We've gone down to just two episodes per show. And we're getting into 203 and 204. By the way, I don't I want to make sure everybody understands our, our terminology. I use the same terminology that Warner uses, that JMS uses, where the season number is the first digit, and then the second and third digit is the episode number. So, like, the last episode of season one was 122, because it was season one, episode 22. And then last time we did 201 and 202. So tonight we're doing 203, The Geometry of Shadows, and 204, A Distant Star. And I am very curious to find out what you thought about those two episodes, because those are two, for, for early second season episodes, those are very, um, they have a very big impact for me. So I'm looking forward to this conversation. In the meantime, how are you doing this week, sir? I'm doing very good, Van. I just got done recording a uh, podcast for actually one of our listeners, Thaddeus Pepke. Uh, contacted me. He does his own podcast for um, it's called Into the Greenwood, and it is uh, a scholarly look at the the mythology around Robin Hood. So he normally has like historians and and archaeologists and folklorists and stuff like that. But every once in a while, he'll do a movie review episode where he has nerds like me on to uh, watch a Robin Hood movie and and chat with him afterwards. So uh, I was on that one. Um, had a lot of fun recording it, and uh, he's really a super smart guy, and and he's a big Babylon Five fan. So maybe we can work him into our uh, our next season wrap up. Ooh, that's a good thought. So that's very cool. I'm so glad you got to do that, and they couldn't have made a better choice. And what movie did you end up watching? And I can't remember. We we ended up watching uh, the Rogue of Sherwood, which is it's not about Robin Hood. It's about Robin Hood son named Robin Hood. Um, it was done in 1950 or something like that. It wasn't a very good movie. It starred John Derrick played Robin Hood, young the young Robin Hood Jr., who is more famous for marrying Bo Derrick. Mm-hmm. And uh, it, it was a good movie. It was it was kind of it was fun. It wasn't great, but it was it, it was it was more fun to talk about the movie than it was to watch the movie. Hmm. Yeah. Well, that's true. With a lot a lot of movies I find, but uh, well, that's so cool. <laughs> I'm really glad that you got to do that, and yeah, and we'll have to... he and Thad used to live down in Florida and was a regular at uh, Babylon Five stuff at uh, Dragon Con. So you might know him from there. 
Yeah, I think that's probably where I originally know him from, but I can't remember off the top of my head now um, because there was a nice big crowd of folks that would come up from Florida every year for Babylon 5 stuff, and they were all really cool. And so, uh, yeah, I'm sure we probably knew each other way back then, but that was over 20 years ago. So, uh, But that's really awesome. <laughs> right. Okay, well... Um, I don't really have any announcements right now other than I guess I'll just point out that we're to the point now that the Babylon 5 channel is getting about the same number of downloads every episode as when I post this show on the White Rocket main feed. So I'm going to keep doing both because we got half our audience on one channel and half on the other. So I don't want to lose half our audience. If the day ever comes that it completely shifts the other way, I'll, I'll switch it. But what I am doing is the Babylon 5 channel gets it a week before the White Rocket channel. So if you're listening to this cool. on White Rocket Entertainment and you want to get the episodes a week earlier, okay, then subscribe to the White Rocket Babylon 5 podcast itself, not just to White Rocket Entertainment. And if you want to get them a few days even before that, what I'm doing now is we record these on Tuesday night. Usually by Thursday, I've had a chance to edit them. Normally, they would be sitting in the can until the following Monday, but I'm going ahead and putting them up on Patreon on, like, Thursday for the patrons. So if you want super early access, become a patron, uh, www.b5review.com. I hope I said it right this time. (laughs) Last time, I was all over the place. No, you got it right. I have okay. it written down. <laughs> good. Good man. Good man. There you go. So www.b5review.com and uh, click on the button that says become a patron. All right. Without further ado, man, I think we should dig into these two because I'm not... The second one tonight, A Distant Star, there's a few things about it that are super cool, but it's not a really deep episode. So I don't think we're going to talk forever about it. I don't think we're going to talk forever about either one, but... There's some very interesting stuff in this first one I'm looking forward to getting into. You ready to get into it? Absolutely. All right. 203. And by the way, remember, we save all of our spoilers for after this episode till the end. So in other words, we'll talk about everything from season one, potentially, and anything up through 204 tonight. But at the end, we go into spoiler space and talk about um, stuff that maybe you will only know about if you have already watched the show all the way through and are coming back through with us again. All right. So, 203, The Geometry of Shadows. How would you summarize this episode? I'm curious. Uh, I would summarize it by saying Lando Molari tries to gain some favor back at home by uh, getting a photo op with techno-mages who have traveled to Babylon 5. They're a super-secret society. And the commander of Vanda is struggling with some um, cultural differences with uh, the Drazi and their election process. So I'm going to go ahead and say this. This is, this is from a little later, but I, I, since you pointed that out, the two, the two plots, I, I wrote this down. I said, this episode doesn't really have a major A plot, but it has two of the best B plots ever. Would you agree with that, or, or right. how would you refine it? A- absolutely, no. That that's a very good way to put it. And and the two the two awesome B plots add up to to a lot of fun. So yeah, it, it works. You don't need an A plot in this one. No, no, because there's there's no earth shadow earth shattering threat to you know life and limb or anything. It's just two really cool. 
It's, it, it honestly is two of the absolute best B-plots they've ever done, and they just glued the two of them together and made one episode out of it, and it's fantastic. And it has ramifications yeah. all the way down through the series and into the other, and, and beyond. And Right, and then some, yeah. So what the Lurker's Guide says is Ivanova is promoted and given a diplomatic assignment. They're always very vague on there. I always think it's funny. Londo seeks affirmation from an unusual source. Well, yeah, okay. <laughs> This is production number 203, originally aired November 16th, 1994. And this is a JMS episode directed by Mike Vijar, who we're going to see that name a lot because there's about five directors that keep popping up that that they really kind of were their go-to directors, including like um, um, Eagle, I think his name is, Vijar, uh, I think Adam Nimoy maybe, Janet Greek. Right, there's several that kind of, and maybe Tony Dow, and um, those are the ones that just came in and, and he would entrust the biggest episodes to. So I thought it was cool this was a Mike Vijar episode. And there are really just two notable guest stars. We get the first appearance, I'd forgotten when the first appearance was, we get the first appearance of Lord Rifa, William Forward as Lord Rifa. We later find out, and this is canon, that JMS said Lord Rifa's first name is Forward. His name is Forward, F-O-R-W-E-R-D, Forward Rifa, in honor of William Forward playing him. <laughs> and I believe, oh, okay. I, may, I may be wrong about this, I believe he's the only actor to play a Centauri besides Peter Jurassic who tries to do the same accent that Peter Jurassic is doing. All the other Centauri are just... I noticed that. Regular accents, but William Forward is like, I'd give it a try. You know, and he does it pretty well. Oh, <laughs> uh, you know, Malari, we have a destiny here, Malari. It's, it's really funny. I love hearing Londo and Rifa talk with each other because they just kind of out try to out accent each other, and it's it's wonderful. And then <laughs> the other notable guest star of this episode is one of my all time favorite guest stars, the great Michael Ansara as Elric the Technomage. I, that he may be that that may be my number one favorite guest star in the entire series because he's one of the coolest actors. Scared me to death as a small child when he was the blue genie on I Dream a Genie. Uh, when he was the Klingon, <laughs> right? He played he played one of the more fearsome Klingons on the original Star Trek. Was married yeah. to Barbara Eden in real life, so I'm like high five, Michael Ansara. You did good. No, no kidding. No kidding. And um, and he was even on like Voice of the Bottom of the Sea. He, I mean, he has been around. He had done everything, and he comes on like one of the last roles he plays on television. He's older. He had to use like cue cards and stuff. His delivery is not great, and of course, JMS gives him these impossible lines to read. But bless him, he does his best, and he's he's awesome. I just love him in the black with the staff and the the circuitry and everything, and he's do oh, it's just fantastic. So. There's our notable guest stars. I didn't miss anybody, did I? That's pretty much, I guess, whoever played the Drazi, right? <laughs> right. I mean, there Don't are Don't think some... that's very notable. Now, later on, we get like a couple of actors that are kind of like the Drazi every episode. But for right now, it's still kind of generic Drazi. So. All right, so let's get into the categories a little bit. What did you think the high point... And I tell you what, I struggled with this one as much as any... Ep- with these categories, I struggled as much as any episode we've done so far. This was hard. This one was hard. Yeah. Okay, what did you think the high point was? Because the whole episode's a high point, Andy. <laughs> the whole episode For is, me, is 40 minutes right, a high point. I, 
<laughs> I uh, I gotta say that the the high point was the introduction of the techno mages. I just think they're super cool. I I, I know you're not a big fan of the techno mages, but <laughs> I absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I thought they were cool. They're a neat concept. I love the way they they, they have a cool look. They have a cool gimmick. Um, it, it, that, that was just really cool to see them in action and and uh, get them on the show. It's so good. Yeah, I, I I care so little for them, Andy, that I actually have dressed at Dragon Con as a techno mage more than one time. <laughs> I have the Galen now. Galen is a character later, so I can't really talk too much about him right now for those that are not wanting to be spoiled. But one of the techno mages that we'll encounter much later on. This isn't the only time, obviously, that we'll see them. Although I think they waited way too long to bring them back. But kind of much like the Soul Hunters, they have an early episode and then you wait a long time for them to come back, you know. But you do see them later. And so I had the the black trench coat, the hood, the staff, everything of of that one. I love, I love the Techno Mages. Yeah. um, So, true story. Okay. I met Galen. I met the actor that plays Galen. Me too. Very, very nice guy. Yep. Oh, I have stories, but I, well, he came, <laughs> he, he came to Dragon Con two or three years there in the early 2000s, and um, he was actually going to do a Babylon 5 theme cruise where you bought tickets like you're going on a cruise, but there'd be a bunch of Babylon 5 people on it. And he was running around giving out flyers for it. It was kind of like a side hustle that he and some of the other actors had going on. And, um, yeah, I, I, I can't really tell my scandalous story. Maybe in the spoiler space we'll do it. Um, my high point, like I said, it didn't really have an A, part, a plot, but both of the B plots are so good it's hard to find one. I'm going to say the high point of the episode is that great moment at the near the end when Elric, I mean, the, 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 the high points all involve Elric for me pretty much. It has to be that good to overshadow purple, green, green, purple, honestly, because that's another all-time. <laughs> I mean, that's another. How can you leave that out? You know what I mean? That's that's one of right. the that's one of the most memorable things on this series is green, purple, green, purple. Okay, but yet <laughs> it's overshadowed by the techno mages. So I said it's when Londo and Elric at the end, when Elric says, um, "I see a great hand reaching out of the stars. That hand is your hand." And I hear voices, the sounds of billions of people calling your name. My followers? Your victims. <laughs> oh, that's so great. That is so that, great. Yeah, that, that is one of, that is, fills one of my other categories. So, yeah, yeah I, I agree I figured, with you. I figured, I figured. All right, so what's, mm, what's your low point? Yeah, my God. low point, and it was a it was a little nitpicky, uh, but the CGI demon when when uh, Viracoto is is looking for the the techno mages and they bring out the the demon, it was a little you know it's it's like something from Hercules, the Legendary Journeys or something. It was pretty <laughs> ah, cheesy. That's, that's good. Um, yeah, you know what? I'll I'll go with that too, just because I actually said I don't have a low point. This is the first episode I hadn't been able to find a low point, but I agree. But the, but the, but see, I can even justify that, which is it was a hologram, right? So, like I said, I was I was just being nitpicky. No, I I think you're right. It could have been better, but they can always say, well, it's supposed to be fake because it was fake. But but no, I think that I think you're right. If there was anything, and that was pretty small, um, I also to keep the ball rolling here. I did not have an Oren Zento overacting award for this episode. I didn't. I didn't either. I thought every. And you mentioned the the uh, Elric's delivery, the actor that played Elric. I I actually thought he did a good job. He had the the proper amount of gravitas, and that voice is worth a million bucks alone. 
Absolutely. So I thought he did a pretty good job. Yeah, I, I, don't, I, I don't have. I, there's really nobody that overacted. My note is Michael Ansara doesn't overact. He sort of struggles at the point in the life that he's at. He was, you know, getting toward you know older age there. So he kind of. But again, JMS gave him this slab of dialogue that is beautiful. But it's like I couldn't remember all that. I've seen the thing <laughs> right. thing fifty times. I couldn't remember all that. You know, twenty-four words to make someone fall in love with you forever. How many ever to make them? Say, I can't even remember to make them go without pain. How to be rich? How to be poor? How to rediscover dreams when the universe is? I mean, that he they give the poor man this kind of dialogue, and then we're surprised he kind of has to look at a cue card. Heck, no, man, Lord. So I can't, I can't, I can't call that over or underacting. I thought it was fine. Thought it was fine. And I'm not gonna say anything bad about Michael Ansara because I'm sure he's passed away by now. But if he has, his ghost will come and haunt my butt, and I don't want that. I'd be scared. I'm scared of Michael Ansara even after he's dead. That's how scared I am of him. So you did great, Mr. Ansara. Mr. Ansara, you did great. Um, What was the most – this is interesting because, again, the the, the high point, the most Babylon 5 scene, and there's, like, favorite character. There's there's several moments that are kind of interchangeable with you and me. Like, you have one for one, I'll have it for the other and all that. So I'm curious, what was your most Babylon 5 scene? My most Babylon 5 scene is what you brought up earlier, that speech that he gives Londo there um, when he says, I see a great hand reaching out of the stars. Mm-hmm. I thought that was very uh, portentous about Londo's arc and about the where the, the entire Babylon 5 arc is going. I mean, it's it's pretty serious. And the I see a great hand reaching out of the stars. It, it's interesting that the uh, shadow ships are very hand-shaped as well. So. Ooh, I hadn't thought of that. Look at that. We will hear that line again later, too. And it's not a spoiler just to say that, you know, in things like credit sequences, sometimes they bring back moments from earlier seasons. So be prepared to hear that line a few times in the future down the road because it is such a great great line. Um, I just felt like I got to get the Drazi plot in there somewhere. So I said that everything green, purple, green, purple. This alone is a brilliant idea. And would make this episode fantastic, even without the whole Technomage aspect with Londo. I love the idea that this race is so homogenous that they have to artificially manufacture a point of contention in order to have any conflict. But they love conflict, so they're willing to do it. Right. They're like, we want to fight, but we don't have anything to fight over. So we'll make up a fake reason to fight just so we get to fight. I love it. I thought it was, I thought it was a very interesting commentary on uh, political parties. <laughs> Yeah, well, there is that too, absolutely. Um, yeah. And I mean, the whole business where the Drazi says to Susan, you know, like, you have flags, you fight over the, but they mean something. And he's like, well, you know, right. how much really more does it mean, you know? And that's true. But uh, my favorite bit, though, my favorite bit of that is where they're, where the two Drazi leaders are just flabbergasted that Susan can't understand why they want to kill each other. <laughs> And she's like, but, but, but why, are you, why do you want to fight him? And Drazi looks at him and, and goes, purple! Like, <laughs> there, that's yeah. it? Why, is it not obvious? Purple! There it is, dude. And Susan's just like, what? So, yeah, I love that the conflicts among other societies can be completely transparent to them and be completely opaque to outsiders. 
There's just so much going on there. It's just so good. And like I say, it takes a heck of an other B-plot to overshadow that. No pun intended. Right. But right. <laughs> the freaking techno mages, man, I'm sorry. They overshadow it. Um, yeah, so green and purple. I had to get that in somewhere. Uh, okay, God, again, this is... You just kind of have to pick and choose among a, a potpourri of, of great scenes here. What was your favorite character moment? My favorite character moment was when Londo tries to get the, the selfie with the, the techno mage where he sets up the, <laughs> the meeting with, with uh, Captain Sheridan and, and uh, El- Elric and tries to surreptitiously put the camera down there next to his drink to get a picture of him hugging him. And yeah, I thought that was hilarious because the, the techno mage just played him for a fool. It was, oh, it was pretty awesome. I offer you the hands of friendship. You wouldn't be using this in any way as to, to, to make it look like an endorsement. Oh, of course not, of course not. And his camera explodes. <laughs> right after Londo has said, oh, filming me. How, what a low thing to do. And then Londo's right. camera blows. Now, excuse me, i got to go fix my camera. <laughs> God, that is great. There's so many. Again, I, It was now, so Londo. Let me just go ahead and foreshadow here. I'm not trying to be punny tonight. Um, this is not a 5.0 episode for me. I know I'm kind of gushing about it, but it's it's not the greatest episode ever. It's not even in probably my top five or whatever episodes. But it's just like for what it is, with, again, no real conflict, no real A-plot, but for what it is, it's just so great from start to finish. It's it's just the perfect little episode. Yeah. You know? And you get several of those in, well, I got a couple in season one and several in season two, so... All right, my favorite character moment. Again, we've just got like 15 scenes, and we're kind of like randomly picking them out for this. Mine is is another, again, Elric's got to be in it for it to be a favorite character scene. Elric and Sheridan, because Elric has a great conversation with Londo, and he has a great conversation with Sheridan. And it's the one where they're walking and talking in the Zocalo, and Elric does the little speech about words to make you fall in love, words to make you leave without pain, how to be rich, how to be poor, all that. And then... Um, he, there was a you know Sheridan mentioned orange blossoms at the beginning of the conversation because Sheridan is freaking obsessed with oranges. We we already know this, and so he Elric puts something in his hand and walks away, and Sheridan looks and it's an orange blossom. So that whole bit right there is my favorite character moment. It's a good Sheridan moment. It's a great Elric moment, and it's a very subtle way of of showing how powerful they are. He doesn't blow anything up or make a fire monster or anything. He just makes an orange blossom appear. It's pretty cool. Right. Uh, f- oh gosh, <laughs> this may take a couple of minutes. Funniest moment. What do you got? <laughs> I had to narrow it down to, uh, I didn't what, narrow it down. What was ahead? Londo's when Londo's computer was infected with the, uh, the techno mage <laughs> virus that was, or the demon and he ended up buying all sorts of spoo farms and all that stuff. It was hilarious. And then, congratulations. You now own 5,000. Well, first, uh, you now own 2,000 shares in a Spoo Ranch. And then later it's like, <laughs> what does it say? You now own 5,000 shares on Fireflies Incorporated. You're like, what? what is Fireflies? I don't even want to know what Fireflies Incorporated is. All I know is that Londo is a big shareholder. Right. <laughs> That's a good one. If you have any others, throw them out there because I'm going to mention like three or four. So I have no shame. <laughs> I have no shame, Andy. I, I'm sure there's a lot of overlap, so go ahead. All right, all right. I love, all right, Veer has a good moment where he, after Londo walks away and leaves part of his drink sitting there, Veer picks the drink up, sniffs it, drinks it, turns around and falls over backward. That's is ridiculous. <laughs> that was good. But it was funny. All right, give give credit to Veer. 
Um, <laughs> this is such a subtle little line you had to catch. When Veer goes first to talk to the Techno Mages the first time, and he's repeating over and over, I am Veer Cotto, I represent Ambassador Malari, whatever, and he's scared to death. He at one point says, I, I was... I'm told by the people running that way that this is where you can find the techno mages. <laughs> that was great. I had to actually rewind. I'm like, did I hear what I think? <laughs> I'm told by the people running the other way that this is where I can find the techno mages. Running the other way. That's beautiful. I like right. the bit where uh, where um, Elric asks him if he or, or asks him if he's afraid. He goes, "I work for Londo Molari." <laughs> You get used to those type of things. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. Veer has some good moments. This is a very good Londo and Veer episode, honestly. And they'll have more to come. Um, uh, oh, oh. the doctor says, I'll give you something for the pain. And Ivanova says, great. Now you can give me something for the pain. Where were you when I was going through puberty? That's another classic <laughs> Ivanova line. She has so many. Yeah. You know, I mean, I think that part of it is that Straczynski's Russian. And so he has a Russian character. And he lets Susan say all the things he thinks and wants to say. That's yep. always been the case, and that's, you know. Um, and by the way, I'll, I'll use that as a plug for his book. If you haven't read it, and I listened to it on audio, and Peter Jurassic, we may have mentioned it last season, but Peter Jurassic mm-hmm. reads that book, Becoming Superman. It's, a, it's, it's great on Audible. Just a great listen. He talks about things like being Russian and his family and his strange connections back there. Uh, all right, I got... Well, I, I had, you already mentioned I, you're now on 2,000 shares in a Spoo Ranch. Oh, oh, and it's making a lot of noise. What is that sound? Non-opera. So our first reference <laughs> to non-opera. And then, um, oh, oh, and then the last funniest moment. God, I love this line so much. When Susan discovers that she can become purple leader or green leader, I forget which one. She becomes leader of one of the factions. And she's like, what? I, I, you let an alien, you know? You let somebody that's not a Drazi be your leader? And the Drazi says, rules of combat older than contact with other races. Did not mention aliens. Rules change caught up in committee, not come through yet. <laughs> <laughs> so bureaucracy as well as political parties figures into it. Right. There you go. Oh, man. So many funny moments in this episode. It just is a treasure trove. It's a gold mine. Um, all right. Any other uh, funniest moments or thoughts or anything before we get into little factoids and notes? I have nothing else. All right. Do you have any factoids you want to throw out there? I have a handful. I have a couple. Uh, okay. As this is a very Drazi centric episode, and there, like you mentioned, there are a couple more good Drazi episodes. Throughout all five seasons of Babylon Five, we never see one female Drazi. Whoa, you're right. Yeah, that's always the males, but they do exist according to JMS. They obviously have to exist. But maybe maybe they're like dwarf women in Lord of the Rings. Right. <laughs> Speaking of Lord of the Rings, funny you should mention that. The line that uh, um, I forget who delivers it. Do oh, uh, 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 Elric delivers it. Do not try the patience of wizards, for they are subtle um, and quick to anger. And quick to anger. That is a quote from Lord of the Rings. Yes. Now I always saw it attributed to Gandalf. It's about Gandalf, but it's not by right. Gandalf. I understand it was like an elf that said it or something. I don't yep. know exactly. Uh, uh, I forget his name. I'm uh, I'm I'm a, uh, a Lord of the Rings nerd, but I don't remember his name. Yeah, uh, um, some, ra- some random elf. They pop up all the time in that thing. And Galen, I don't know if, if this is one of yours or not, but Galen, the character, was one of the. It was later uh, JMS said that Galen was one of the um, uh, Technomages that that was on 
Babylon Five in this episode because there was there was more than just Elric. There was a whole group of them, and oh, yeah. Galen was one of them. I didn't realize that. Well, he is all right. So this is a character that comes along later, um, but he is, I believe, the apprentice of Elric. Mm-hmm. And this comes from not just later episode stuff, but the the novels. There's a trilogy of novels that Gene Cavalos wrote that are official canon. That are the three Del Rey. Del Rey did the three Psychor uh, novels, the three Centauri novels. Peter David and um, um, I was trying to think. Uh, Ke- Greg Keyes wrote the telepath novels he did uh, and they were excellent saw i see him at dragon con every year but he's not coming this year he just sent out yeah pencil. i saw that yeah um uh and then and then peter david wrote the centauri so yeah the techno maze novels by gene cavalos um i've never met her but i'd like to talk to her about him um because i wasn't completely sold on her interpretation i don't know when this is ever going to come up again for us i'll just mention i like those books okay they didn't give me as much new stuff as i wanted and I didn't particularly love the way that they were portrayed. I thought that the Technomages should always be mysterious, dark, and almost like wizards, like magicians. And she just kind of has them being like people that have, like almost like Star Trek, people that have some extra weaponry or extra talent abilities or whatever. And I just thought hmm. they, they need to be darker and more mysterious. I don't know. I don't know. Maybe it's just me. Considering where they get their technology, yeah. Yeah, we can't talk about that until the end, though. No, obviously. Right. Well, we'll talk about that later. All right, I have got a few factoids. Uh, let's see. I like the fact that Garibaldi is still suspicious of Sheridan. That mm-hmm. they didn't just, you know, smiling Johnny wins him over in one episode. No, Garibaldi is still kind of like. And what was interesting too is that is that you know in 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 two o two last week Garibaldi is like, I don't know you, I can't trust you. And so you're thinking this episode Sheridan's going to be trying to win his trust, but you get, and you do to a certain degree. But as we're going to see in the next one, we're going to talk about in 204, Sheridan is being pretty, pretty grouchy with him. And I'm like, right, you know, here's Sheridan trying to convince everybody he's not President Clark Jr., and yet he's given Garibaldi reason to think, you know, I don't know. So that was that was interesting to me. Um, yeah, to see more than one Technomage at a time is a very bad omen, and Londo and Veer see three, but there were even more than that, obviously. Uh, every five years, the Drazi do the green-purple thing. I wonder why they pick green and purple. I don't know. Uh, oh, Ivanova gets com- promoted to commander, so she's the same rank that Sinclair was in all of season one now. If, if, right. Sheridan, if Sheridan wasn't around, she could run the dang station by herself now. Right. Pretty much. Um, <sighs> Sheridan... And, and- oh, Yep. She shows very uh, Sinclair-esque abilities with the whole Drazi situation. Yep. Very good. Very so good I, point. Yeah. Um, Sheridan has a pitcher of orange juice. He likes the pulp. This is a callback to episode one when he talked about orange juice. and episode two, we had a bowl of oranges in his quarters. So this whole oranges thing just keeps popping up with Sheridan. I guess he's bright and sunny like a bowl of, of uh, Florida orange <laughs> juice. I don't know. Uh, I love that the techno mages like to draw Led Zeppelin album cover symbols in the air with their fingers. I thought that was kind of cool. Right? <laughs> we are particularly fond of Jimmy Page. Um, <laughs> um, I loved that Veer gave this whole little speech about how there are currents in the universe that destroy us and others that make us stronger, but we get confused. We can't tell which are which. It seems like you know the ones that are going to help us actually destroy us. And, and Lando's just like, oh my gosh, when does this ever end, right? And yet, if you listen to what Veer is saying, it really describes Lando's predicament. Yep. It, it was played off as kind of a, a, mm-hmm. 
joke line, but yeah, it, it very, very much uh, speaks to, to Londo's arc. Everything that's happening to Londo, it seems like it's building him up, making him bigger and more powerful, but we're going to see. We're going to see. Uh, yeah, you mentioned the quote about the patience of wizards. That was very good. I thought it was interesting that sometimes the comm link is like molecularly bonded to their hands and you can't remove it. And other times people just snatch it off like it's a piece of tape. Right. <laughs> Drazi just snatched it right off of there. It didn't take the skin off of her hand. So I don't know what the heck that was all about. Uh, oh, oh, I got a couple of quotes from JMS real quick. Um, uh, oh, let me see. Oh, yeah, yeah. There were substantial differences made between the first draft and the final based on the fact that a lot of the physical stuff that I'd written for Claudia, this is JMS talking, getting herself out of the problem she was in with the Drazi had to be dumped because the actress had broke had broken her foot. So the broken foot was real, and he had to contrive a different ending, which is interesting because um, I just wonder... It seemed like rescuing Susan was what prompted Garibaldi to go back to work. So if right. if she gets herself out of the situation, then how does Garibaldi decide to go back to work? Right, one of those so, happy accidents that uh, turns out for the best. Yeah, that just puzzled I thought me. that would. Yeah, that was a really neat character point for Garibaldi. Yeah, it really was. I thought it was a very clever way to you know he kind of remind he reminds himself how valuable he is. Um, oh, he was asked, uh, JMS was asked what the 14 words are to make you fall in love. He says, if I told you what they were, you would, they wouldn't mean anything anymore. Right. Um, the, I love that the Technomages are from various races and worlds. There are some who are Centauri. Some are human. There are even supposedly Vri and Pakmara. These happen to be from Earth, which is why Sheridan had a right to kind of like hold them up and say, before you leave, I got to talk. Uh, and then my last one was... JMS was asked what happened to the emperor's son because we're told the emperor's son has died. And JMS mm -hmm. says, ah, a very sad case that. Emperor Turhan's only child, his son, died during a boating accident of all things. He drowned. His personal guard, who was apparently unable to find Turhan's son in the murky water, was found dead several days later after making his report. His own death was officially ruled a suicide out of grief, but there are always stories. Hmm. Mm. And we know the Centauri love the court intrigue and the backstabbing and all that, so I suspect yes. I suspect there's more to it than just a boating accident. Yeah. I one one that you did not mention that I will mention real quick. Uh, the lead Technomage, his name was Elric, and yep. that was named after the uh, famous sword and sorcery character Elric of Mel Melnibene. That is correct. Very good. Good call. I don't know how I missed that, but you're absolutely right. Yeah. Great name, great character name, great character. I've got a pre-order in now for when the next French edition comes out. I think the fourth volume of those beautiful hardcovers that they're doing in France, translating into English. Oh, those things, the Blondel, the, the, the writer, the, the adapter is Blondel. Um, if, right. you like, if you like Elric and you don't know about these, this, this French writer-artist team are doing these gorgeous hardcover adaptations of the Elric novels as comics. And they're only like 20 bucks. And they're fantastic. Really? Yeah, they're fantastic. Go on Amazon, look up Elric and Blond, B-L-O-N-D-E-L. They're big hardcover comics. I have the uh, the one that uh, Simonson did, and then I had the one that uh, I Pete believe Craig it was Russell? Roy Thomas. Yeah. And Pete Craig Russell. And somebody did. Yeah. yeah. Uh, those, are, those are both very good. I have both they're of those, good. but I'll have to look this one up. Oh, here's the difference. Those were done like Marvel, and so they're awesome, but a teenager or 12-year-old could read them. These right. French Blondel ones bring in the gothic horror, 
there's nudity, there's blood, there's torture, which is basically how the story actually is when you read the, uh, right. the Moorcock book. So they're these right. the, they spare nothing. They are hardcore. Cool. Yeah. So, who won the episode? Uh, I'm gonna say Ivanova won the episode because she solved the issue with the uh, the Drazi. Um, yeah, she broke her leg, but uh, and she got made leader of the the what color was it? Purple or orange? I can't I forget. remember. So, I yeah, can't she remember. you know she she was a high ranking official in the Drazi hierarchy, so that's <laughs> that that's got to be a win right there, right? I wish they could have pulled that out later. If there'd been a later episode <laughs> where the Drazi are doing something and Susan's like, "Well, you do remember." Puts her tie, ties her little scarf on, and they're like, "Snap to attention, yes, green leader or whoever." Yeah, that would have been so great if we call back. But alas, we do not get a call back to this episode. Um, I think you're right. There's only two possible characters that could have won this episode, and one of them is Ivanova. I'm glad you picked her because I said that who won the episode was Elric. Yeah, right. He got everything he wanted, got some revenge on Londo, and <laughs> got to go off into wherever the Techno Mages are going in their great migration. And as the Technomages are making their great migration, we will wait and find out later if they see anybody in distress along the way and set up a whole other story. So we'll get to that. What did you rate this episode? I'm very curious. You know, I, I went back, and this is one of those ones when I went back and forth on, but I ended up giving it a three simply because it was so much fun. Um, the Technomages are super cool. And like you said, it was two really strong B episode or B plots mashed together into one episode, and it had some it had some big you know uh, arc moments you know with the the like you mentioned the techno mages are are gonna you know perhaps reappear later, it, and it spoke to uh, Londo's arc. So I thought uh, I gave it a three. Um, I, I was waffling between a, a two point five and a three, and and I I settled on three because I did really enjoy watching it. Interesting. Um... A five is reserved for only a handful of the very best. I've never given, I haven't given out a five yet. You'll know as soon as I do when I give it a five. Four point five is the ones that are almost the best. They're right up there. I gave this one a four. Wow. This is one of my favorite. This is a top ten for me. It's not quite top five, but that just speaks to the strength of seasons three, four, and five. Honestly, and right. a little bit of yeah. season two. Yeah, yeah. So four, just because, and I. You know, we've, we've talked about how we've watched episodes that we thought we liked, and then you're like, well, there's some problems with that one. I, it didn't quite live up to my memories. This one was better than I remembered. Really? Yes. That's cool. Yes. Better better than I remembered. Because I remember thinking, oh, is this the one with so-and-so? And then I'm like, oh, no, no, this is the Technomage episode. And then when I started watching, I'm like, oh, crap, I forgot about Purple and Green, the Drazi. Oh, I forgot about, oh, I, and then I just kept up and up and up. And by the end of the episode, I'm like, yeah. So, yeah, I really do love this one a whole lot. All right. We got one down, one to go. We're going to talk about 204, A Distant Star, which is not quite as exciting as this one. I don't think. We can see, we can see what anything. It's a more spaceship-oriented one, though, so Andy might like it more than I do. We'll see. Hold that thought. But first, got to thank our patrons. So very quickly, go to www.b5review.com for as little as a dollar a month. Click on the button that says become a patron. You can help keep our programs on the air. We've gained several patrons lately just for this show, and we really appreciate it. Here are our patrons at White Rocket Entertainment currently that keep our shows going. Chris and Clinton Stewart, uh, Carl Von Drunker, Christopher Burleson, Jeremiah Schumann, Patrick Hayes, Samuel Salvatore, Allison Rich, Bart Lindsay, Bradley Blackman, Chris Usher, Gary Grant, J.J. Peggy's. Logan Chilton, Matthew Flowers, Phil Amthor, Richard Stevens, Steve Trewick, Susan Trewick, Trombone Tiger, Willie Carden. He's a dark horse for the Heisman. 
and Kanjian. Again, one of the things people like to do is make their name something they want me to say on the air. So, you know. Hey, you falling up. Ben Bloodworth, Chris Thrash, Clay Henson, Dan Thompson, Daniel Odom, David Evers, David Hegler, Emmanuel Seaman, Eric Morgan, Bobby. Uh, I need a man to hug and kiss. Wow, that's just so cool. <laughs> George. <laughs> oh, they're killing me. George, oh, George Gaston, Jacob and Robin Fleming, John Otsuki, Catherine England, Kevin Smith, Mickey B, Phil Davis, Preston Settle, Reynolds Wolf. Rich Reimer, Steve Harlan, There Goes Davis, uh, WDE Richie, Wes Atkinson, William Morgan, not William Morgan Clark, I hope, but just William Morgan, Wilson Beard, Winston Body, Blake Heron, Boris the Tiger, Cato the Barner, Chris the Hilton, Brandon Smith, Colby Butler, Danny Flack, Darius Benton, David Simpson, Diabama, Earl Ricks, Eric Mahan, Hugh Anderson, it's pronounced Piggies, they're, they're killing me over how I pronounce this person's name, Josh Teal, Kevin Kenoy, Kevin Mahan, Lane Middleton, Melissa Blackstone, Mike Finley, Algorithm, Papa Todd, Patrick Williams, Randall Walker, Rob Morgan, Ross, Russell Milling, Sarah Hines, Sasquatch, Shane Bailey, Shannon Butson, Snowdog. This is the year Bo Nix has improved so much under this new offense. He's focused on having fun. I wouldn't be surprised if. Tim Pittman, Tony Perry, Alex Wynn, Auburn Elvis, Ben Amos, Ben Riggis, Bill Miner, Charles Mooney, Chris Como, Colonel Dad, Daniel Barnett, Darren Pyle, David Smiley, Donnie Reynolds, Elizabeth Donald, and finally, Ice Cream Clone with Boba Fett's face, James Taylor, Jason the Weasel Skull Albrecht, John Stubbs, John Zavachin, Joey Miller, Joseph Eiliff, JT Jarhead, Justin Bean, Kathy Bright, Kenneth Brent Rains, Mark Squire, Michael Halbrook, Mick Vigicana, Paul Bankson, Public Land Owner, Robert Drain, Russell Souther, Ruth and Darren Sutherland, Spanky, Stephen Thompson, Trevor Johnson, Here's a new one. Why am I even here? John Ringer has all the talent and carries this show. Now, that's for the wishbone. I'm sure if they were listening to this show, Andy, it would say, why am I even here? Andy Fix has all the talent and carries this show. <laughs> Plus, that's just evil. Plus, Brant Rumble, Chris, and our one-time and anonymous donors, we thank you all for keeping the show going, even if you're hateful and mean to me. Go to www.b5review.com and join the fun. All right, let's get into 204, A Distant Star. But yes, sir. Before we do that, I, I do have to say that listening to all those football-related names reminds me that one of my old football teams I used to play for, the Columbus Gladiators, is uh, i got to give them a shout-out because they are playing for the, the BCFL League Championship next weekend. So Nice. I thought that was pretty darn cool, yeah. That's awesome. Columbus, Ohio. They. Columbus, Ohio. They beat the, the the last game. They beat the. It was for the conference championship. They beat the number one seed in the playoffs, thirty six to nothing. They just beat the snot out of them. So excellent, excellent. Those sound like teams that they'd be watching on Babylon Five. Oh, the Gladiators <laughs> are playing the. You know, the Purple Drive. Columbus, Columbus used to have a team called the Battle Stars. Oh my gosh, that's the greatest one ever. And they were a dynasty for, for over a decade. They just wow. dominated the league they were in. So. Until they ran into a team called the Base Ships. <laughs> who come out on the field to... Bum, 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 with Coach Baltar. Coach Baltar That's has funny. them ready. Has them boys ready in their silver, silver uniforms. Little red spot on their helmet. Oh, man. We can just go on forever with this. All right. Let's get into a distant star. Disaster strikes an old friend of Captain Sheridan... And Dr. Franklin offers nutritional advice to some reluctant patients. I got to say, Andy, this is a show with an A plot, the Cortez, a B plot, 
the food plan mm-hmm. and the C plot, Sheridan's doubts about should he be commanding Babylon 5. I got to right. say, this is one of my least favorite B plots ever. The food plan really? thing. Oh, Lord. I just. I, I thought it was hilarious. Every scene was comedy gold. And, <laughs> and I have to mention, as president of the Warren Keffer Appreciation <laughs> Society, that he plays a big part in this one. So, he all does. three of the Warren Keffer fans out there that are listening, <laughs> power to the people. There you go. Good deal. Good deal. Fair enough. This is production number 204, November 23rd, 1994. Written by DC Dorothy Fontana, who was, I think, originally Gene Roddenberry's secretary and then later his story editor and contributed several very big, famous episodes of Star Trek. She is awesome. She can write. She can. Directed by Jim Johnston, who did a few. Notable guest stars Russ Tamblin, interesting casting choice for Captain Maynard. Uh, I think he's best known for Twin Peaks, and I think he was on Six Feet Under, too, but I can't remember for sure. It's been a while since I watched he was He was in a little movie called West Side Story. Oh, yeah. That's right. He was Riff. He was the, yeah, the, the, yeah Riff. So a favorite of mine. I'm into the whole musical thing. So Good deal. Good deal. And Miguel Nunez as Orwell, which is an odd choice for the name of the hipster guy who helps smuggle Banyakata onto the station. You right. You think if jo- if JMS is going to name a character Orwell, it's going to be something from like Chrysalis or something, you know, <laughs> working for Clark. But uh, anyway, um, all right. So that's our guest stars. Um, this is an interesting episode. Before we get into the categories a little bit, I just want you to tell me overall what did you make of this one? I I, I loved it. Um, and it, <laughs> it's it does a lot of the world building outside of the great big story arc. The whole thing with the, the explorer ship going on five-year missions to the outer rim. Good golly. That would make an awesome TV show. Wouldn't it? I mean, I, I that, we'll get into what I think of the ship here in a little bit um, with category number one, but mm-hmm. I just thought that, you know, it, it, it was cool to see the, the, the world building done that didn't really necessarily advance the big arc. I thought that was pretty cool. So I, I enjoyed this episode quite a bit. And like I said, I thought the B plot was one of the funniest B plots in, in the, the whole series. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Well, I think we share the same high point then. What's your high point? My high point is the Cortez. When that, when that puppy dog came through the, the jump gate, I mean, the design is brilliant. The, the CGI modeling is awesome. The textures are great. The colors are great. It's just a cool ship, and the interiors are cool too. I mean, it. I'm sure it was. I, I couldn't quite picture, couldn't quite place the the set, but I'm sure it was a recycled Babylon Five set. But uh, it, it looked like its own unique ship, and um, man, I just love that ship. It's just a, one of my all time favorite Babylon Five capital. I think it's probably the and it same. was huge. Oh god, it's huge! It's almost as long as the station. Yeah. I've- I thought I had a model of one around here, the metal ones, but I, I, I've definitely got the I've got the Excalibur, which some of you don't know what that is, but you'll find out later. I've never built it, but I've got a, a pewter from the game, from the spaceship game. Uh, I've built most of the ships over the years. I've got the, the Excalibur I've never built, but I feel like I feel like I had an Explorer ship at one time, but I don't know whatever happened to it. But yeah, it is a great design. It's really cool. Um, it's kind of like the Discovery from 2001, but much, much, much bigger, much longer, bigger. Yeah. And I like the idea. It's basically like the Enterprise. It goes out on five-year missions. Yeah, it is fantastic. And I love yeah. that Christopher Frankie has this musical fanfare for it. This episode, I, I, every now and then I say, oh, Frankie did a really good job with this episode's score. 
I love. There, there's another episode coming up soon that has a really, really memorable sort of light motif. You know, like a certain character that you hear a thing. It says it all about EarthGov that when they send out peaceful explorer ships. They're not named after peaceful explorers. They're named after the freaking conquistadors. Right? That is so EarthGov, right? That is just that is That's... so on brand for them. Right? Oh my gosh. I'm sure there's the Pizarro going to go out and, you know, oh, my God. The, the uh, DeSoto. Oh, yeah. yeah. Got to be. Got to be. Um <laughs> That is so on brand for them. But anyway, the musical leitmotif, I love that the Cortez has a leitmotif. It's just like, I don't, I, I don't have it here available. Maybe I'll find it put on here in post-production. But it's like that, bum, 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 bum. It just gets this great musical fanfare when it comes out of the jump gate. Every right. like multiple times, just to make it seem big and important, and they succeed. I thought the music. This was the first. I mean, I, I always enjoy the music for every episode because it's it's good stuff. But this was the first time that I thought it functioned really, really well, mm-hmm. integrated into into the scenes themselves. Like you mentioned, when the Cortez, every time it came out, it, I mean, it made it feel epic. Um, the scene when um, the two captains are discussing, you know, what lives in hyperspace, and and what's his name, the the captain Captain Maynard is talking about seeing the the a blip or a shadow out out in the uh, off the rim. Those lines are kind of cheesy and all that, but when the the music that they put in there is perfectly keyed to the delivery of the lines, and it really enhances the scene a lot. I thought the music was spectacular in this particular episode. Yeah. I'm glad you brought that up. Yeah, it is. I he uh, Frankie produced quite a few individual episode discs, and then he has he has two or three compilation discs: uh, Babylon Five Volume One and Bi- Babylon Five Volume Two, Messages from Earth. And then there's like a Babylon Five Greatest Hits or something. There's these three CDs, and I've got them, but I don't think any of them incorporates that Cortez music, which is disappointing. Um, and I don't know if they did a disc for this episode. So that music may just not be available, which would be too bad because I've, I've been kind of on a quest for it for a long time. If any of our listeners know that there's like a CD or recording somewhere of the Cortez music, just the music, like a CD or whatever, because he's got um, a bunch of the third and fourth season episodes have their own CD with like 30 minutes of the music that he composed for that episode. They're really cool. Have you ever seen them? They're like those clear, transparent discs with the geometric shapes on them and everything. Yep. Yeah, those are great. I have several of those. Yep. I've got Sleeping in Light, Into the Fire, and maybe a couple of others that are really good. And that's the only place I know that you can get the Sleeping in Light music, which is just incredible. Oh, but people don't know what that is, so la la la. Um, yeah, my high point is the Explorer ship and the music goes along with it. What was your low point? I'm going to cheat and say I didn't have one for this episode. I really didn't. I, I really enjoyed pretty much everything in it. Yeah, I had actually noted, and, and don't be offended, I actually said I didn't love the inside of the Explorer. I thought it should have looked more like, uh, I know it's bigger and more spacious, but I thought it looked too much like the bridge of the Agamemnon, which looked too much like just a room. 
I just feel like they could have yeah. curved the walls or put some scaffolding or something, something to make you feel like you're inside a ship as opposed to a a cubicle room. But that's that's legit, uh, you know. But anyway, that's and, a pretty picky low point. Right. They were filming in a hot tub warehouse, so you know. <laughs> this is true. <laughs> put a couple of hot tubs around. Um, right. <laughs> I did not have an Orenzento overacting award for this one either. I feel like we, I feel like all the over, all the Orenzento stuff happened in the first season. We're we're kind of like in a good acting period here. Right. That's unfortunate that, that we won't see the likes of those two again. <laughs> they <will> Hopefully, pass. <laughs> <laughs> they will not pass this way again. They're like the techno mages. They the the bad actor, the Orenzento and Ari Benzane have go off beyond the rim, and we will not see their like again in our lifetime. Kind of like the Explorer ships. You're lucky to see two actors like that in your life. <laughs> or unlucky, I guess. Uh, all right. What, right. Was your, what was your most Babylon 5 scene? My most Babylon it's, 5 scene was uh, Delenn when the, she was talking about the Stardust. We are all we are all oh. part of the Stardust. Or we are we all come from Stardust. I thought that was just a fantastic scene. Um, it, 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 it ties into the whole thing of, of, of JMS's... Uh, mixing of science and spirituality um and and it it speaks the the larger arc of of the series you know we're all part of this this whole universe and the universe is telling us what to do and i just thought that was really cool and it was very very babylon 5 that's my favorite character moment pretty much what you just said so yeah like i said we have these really nice scenes and we just kind of fit them in where we feel like um, I was going to say, I, I was suspecting your most Babylon 5 scene would involve a spaceship, since this is a very spaceship-heavy episode. Um, I had the shadow ship in hyperspace. Yeah? As a, because when you see that the shadow ship... Cool. I mean, that's a, it's a, a Babylon 5 moment that there's the shadows, yeah. they're up to something. But yeah, let me go ahead and just carry that forward then. My favorite character moment is what you just said, Sheridan and Delenn in the garden, and she reassures him, which was very important. Because Maynard mm-hmm. had put some uncertainties and doubts into his mind. Did he really want to be a military governor instead of a ship captain? So Delenn kind of seems to reassure him. It doesn't really seem to come up again after this, so I guess it worked. But her quote really is a lot of Carl Sagan stuff. Sagan used to say, we are star stuff. And he also would say, we are the universe made manifest trying to figure itself out. So I always thought that the, that the Minbari religion is really Saganism. Not Satanism, but Saganism. <laughs> And uh, it, it seems that way. And I love that uh, the, other, the other cool moment was when Sheridan says about Delenn, she and the universe seem to have a special relationship, and Ivanova says, don't we all? So that was a pretty good little exchange, yeah, too. Yeah, that was cool. That was good. All right, so we both loved that scene. What was the funniest moment? There were a couple in this. Well, and I have a favorite character moment. Oh, I'm sorry. I run over you. But I'm sorry. Go right ahead. <laughs> That's all right. Uh, my favorite character moment was when Ivanova and Sheridan were, were chatting when he was – she was kind of digging at Adam to see what was wrong, and he, you know, he came right out and said that he didn't want to. He thought he should be on the explorer ship and not in a governing a, a, a floating city. Mm-hmm. I thought that was a really cool moment because it showed that he had doubts, and and she came across as a pretty strong personality in that one too. I mean, she she kind of told him the, the the business a little bit there, so I thought that was pretty cool. Uh, it was a neat scene. Yeah, no, absolutely. Yeah, and, and, and that was the C-plot was kind of shared. And you could, I, I thought that Boxleitner played that really well. Whenever somebody would say something offhand to him that gave him a doubt, you could see his face change, and he was kind of like going, do I want to really want to be here? Am I really where I want, you know? Right, uh, and I, was, I think that that's why he was grouchy with, um, you mentioned when, when Gar- he kind of snapped at Garibaldi. I think that ties into the his whole 
you know, he was annoyed with having mm-hmm. to be there when he wanted to be out exploring and stuff. That I'm telling you, that would have been a great series if if yeah. Sheridan had been given, you know, his own explorer ship and just oh. sent off on a five year mission. That would have been cool. That would have been great. Well, we do get a cool captain on a on a long extended mission later on, so we have that to look forward to. This uh, is true. However, briefly. <laughs> okay, so funniest moment. Funniest moment for me. Uh, oh, <laughs> I actually wrote this one down because I thought it was funny. When uh, the uh, doctor was putting her on her food plan, and it turns out that he wanted to beef her up a little bit because she was a little bit on the, uh, the thin side. She was like, fine. All my life I fought against imperialism. Now I'm the expanding Russian frontier. That was funny enough. But then uh, Dr. Franklin comes back with, Yes, but with very nice borders. I thought that was so funny. <laughs> I laughed out loud. That was, that a, was perfect, a good one. Perfect exchange because that's totally something Ivanova would say, and that's totally Mac Daddy Franklin's move. He's, he can't. <laughs> right. He can't not put the flirty move on the girl. He just can't. He right. can't help himself. He can't that, stand it. that almost made my favorite character or my uh, my uh, my favorite character moment. Yeah. Yeah, I had that as funniest moment too. I also had a had an honorable mention for when Sheridan Garibaldi and Ivanova swap food, and then Franklin yeah. walks by and they swap back. That right. was pretty. That was I pretty think good that too. That whole arc, that whole arc was every scene was was comedy gold. I mean, that I loved was. it. I guess I agree that the individual moments that make it up are are entertaining. It's just such a dumb. Plot. Right. It's funny, it, it, but it's it would have been a it would have been a good C or D plot. I yeah. think. But uh, yeah. Yeah, because it really doesn't matter for anything, including even in this episode. It's just, oh, they're going right. to go on a diet. What? How exciting, you know. But, eh, you know. Uh, all right. You got any factoids or notes you want to throw out for this one? Uh, let me see a random factoid. We already covered Russ Tamblin. Um, you know, I thought it was a little weird at the end when uh, they were having the uh, um, the memorial in the bar for the, the uh, commander of the Star Furies that gave his life or mm-hmm. that was killed by the shadows in Captain hyperspace. Gal- and they're like, where's, you know, where's Sheridan or Garibaldi? And Sheridan's upstairs doing paperwork and Garibaldi's, you know, having a little party with Dr. Franklin. I'm like, I, you'd figure they'd be a little bit more mm-hmm. into, you know, memorializing one of their lost officers, especially since they had just had dinner with them, mm-hmm. you know, the night before. So it, it, it seemed a little, I don't know, maybe uh, callous. I guess that's, a, that's an excellent point. I hadn't even thought about that. I, it it did strike me when Sheridan said he needed another hour. Like Susan tells him, you need to get down there, and he's like, ah, give me another hour to do some paperwork. And I'm like, really? But you know, yeah. I, I chalked it up to he's so he was so buried under paperwork earlier that he's now just kind of like focused on getting it done and doesn't want to let anything get in his way. But but that's very 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 good point. Um, I have a couple of notes. A Distant Star is also the name of my second Sentinels novel. I'm not sure it makes any more sense as the title of that book than it does the title of this episode. <laughs> what it really have to do with anything? Well, the, the Explorer ship was going off to a distant star, maybe? I don't know. Yeah, it turns into Apollo 13 and comes back after right. a blowout. This is basically Babylon 5, Apollo 13. Yeah. Which is ironic. Yes. Which is ironic because there's an episode, I think this season, that goes up against Apollo 13 for the Hugo Award for Best Dramatic Presentation. Interesting. Uh-huh. Oh, I did I mention that? War- I don't know if I mentioned this or not, but Warren Keffer saves the day. 
<laughs> I, I thought that yes. that needed to be mentioned. That that was a that was kind of a cool moment. He used his brains. He did. You know, he's not he's not just a pretty face mm-hmm. or a hotshot yeah. pilot. He's got brains too. And he thought he was going to die, but he was he did it anyway. You know, yeah. Right. He Absolutely. That was it. Um, let's see. They cleaned up the opening titles and had Bruce Boxleitner redo the voiceover starting with this episode. So the opening is a little crisper and it sounds a little better than it has the first three. So they were constantly tweaking. Because you remember the first episode and the second episode had Delenn looking like she did in season one. And they changed that with episode three. And now with episode four, they, um, they have... Um, they have new a new voiceover. They were never happy with Bruce's voiceover, but he didn't. They, I think JMS was saying that when he recorded originally, he didn't have anything to look at, so he just kind of did the best he could. This time, he was watching the visuals and was able to kind of give some dramatic reading to it. Um, I'm glad you brought up the Delenn looking different because I thought, and I forgot to mention this, but that was a cool scene mm-hmm. with the uh, the Minbari official who who said, you know, the people here on the station don't really know if we should trust you or not. Because we don't know if you're one of us. I thought that was a very poignant moment. Yeah, that's right. And also, kind of deli- cool. And and her, her, go ahead. No, finish your thought because I was going to say something else. Uh, I thought that uh, um, her response was, "I am more our people than you understand," because she knows that she, being part human and part Minbari, she is combining what they think are both of their souls into one. So I thought that was a, a pretty neat little response. Yeah, absolutely. That's a good. I forgot all about that scene. I'm glad you mentioned it. I was going to say she also debuts her new hairstyle this episode, where she kind of has it yes, balled up on the top in the front, kind of odd. Yeah. That doesn't that doesn't last too long, fortunately. <laughs> I don't no. like that one. I don't like that <laughs> very much. It's kind of a Princess Leia in the front kind of thing instead of on the side. I don't know what. <laughs> they were just trying to find the best way to do her hair. Uh, Euphrates gets another name check. The Euphrates Gates, the Jump Gates. Uh, we found out that uh, stairs that. Uh, sh- uh, Captain Maynard and Sheridan are stinky and swamp rat. Mm. Um, Delenn thinks that the... <laughs> this should have been maybe one of the funnier moments. Delenn thinks the Banyakata Banya are a new alien delegation. <laughs> you can just see her going down in full dress with, with Lanier to greet the Banyakata <laughs> and find out, oh, we ate... We, no, I'm sorry, Delenn, we already ate that. You ate the Banyakata? <laughs> maybe we should have destroyed you people after all. Um, you remember that the universe today newspaper back in the sky full of stars was asking is something living in hyperspace Mm -hmm. it looks like something is living in hyperspace or at least it's in there a lot it's uh you know doing stuff and i I did have the note about the membari one of us one of us and then my last thing about this character susan jerks a knot in sheridan's tail several times this episode this was a very susan tells sheridan straighten your butt up Right, they've I loved already, it. Yeah, they've gotten to that point in their relationship already. They didn't know each other before, obviously, but they've already come right. to a working relationship now where she can like stand up to him and say, "You need to get your, you know, get your act together." Yep. And I, which this was written by Dorothy Fontana, so I think she probably had a. She seemed to have a good feel for Ivanova, just like JMS does. Mm-hmm. Uh, let's see. Oh, one last thing about the uh, the Cortez's problem. Um, the, the Lurker's Guide says this, which I thought was very interesting, that the blowout, this may not have been as much of a crisis as it seemed to be. The Cortez, given its stated function of running around on the rim, must carry its own jump point generator. The problem was the lack of main power. Since it has already been stated that opening a jump point takes a great deal of energy, the, sh- uh, 
The size of the Cortez fusion plant would therefore be determined by the power requirements for creating a jump point. With only partial main power, she was unable to do so. But given the size of the ship and its presumed independence, it is possible the Cortez could have repaired her main power plant herself and then opened a jump gate of her own. This possibly explains why Captain Maynard didn't broadcast a mayday immediately following the accident. He assumed they could get Cortez out of trouble themselves. It was only after he received the damage report detailing the slow recovery of main power and the long repair time for navigation that he decided to call for assistance. And then I add onto that, who knows where in real space they would have come out if they just opened a random jump point without any navigation? Because they'd lost the beacon. Right. Okay. Yep. So, ship geeks, I thought you guys would appreciate that little tidbit, all right? Because it's complicated. All right, who won this episode? Oh, golly. I, I have Captain Maynard won this one. Because mm. um, he was, you know, not only was his ship rescued, and not only did he call, you know, Captain Sheridan Swamp Rat, <laughs> but he also, he, he got to go off and, and do his exploring and, and uh, left uh, Captain Sheridan behind. So he got to go off and do... You know the the exciting stuff. So I thought that was a big win for him. And then he got to come back to Babylon Five and hang out some more with him. This is true. So this he had, is true. Yeah, had extended shore leave. I I agree with that. And I also think Garibaldi because he ended up getting his dang manicotta <laughs> by Cooker Crook. He had to share it yeah. with uh, with Stephen, but he got his manicotta. Oh, oh, and I cool. thought that was a that was a cool moment too when uh, he explained to him why it was so important to him and all that. And Stephen was like, "All right, well, let's do this then." Fired up. Well, I didn't authorize yep. dessert. <laughs> Franklin is so yeah. funny. I didn't authorize dessert. I'll give it a rest, even for crying out loud. All right, what's your rating for this one? Uh, I gave this one a three. Yeah. Um, it was it was it was a cool episode. It was a lot of fun. Um, and like I said, I love the Cortez. So it it, oh, Cortez. it, it was worth a three to me. Uh, I will tell you that you will see an explorer ship maybe one more time. I can't remember. At least, at least one more time. Yeah. At least one more time. Yeah. But it'll be a while if I remember correctly. I gave it a 2.5, but that really just means it's right in there with kind of the standard, pretty good first season episodes that were kind of standalone character studies. So, yeah. And, I, yep. and, I, and again, this is another one that I liked more this time. I didn't love it, but I liked this one more. I've seen this one more times than I would have thought I had for some reason. And I, I like it a little more every time. So, yeah, it is cool. For, there are a number of reasons that make it really cool. Well... Uh, we're going to get to spoiler space in just a second. I don't have a whole lot. I don't know if you do. but um, I only have a, a couple things. Okay. I do want to point out, on our next episode, we will be covering 205, The Long Dark, and 206, A Spider in the Web. There's a big Franklin component, I think I remember, to one of those. And mm -hmm. making some romantic moves again, maybe. And there's... Um, <laughs> There's a cool guest star in at least a couple of those. I think both of those have a cool guest star. So they're not necessarily two of the most famous and greatest episodes, but there are some things I think we'll, we will enjoy about them. All right, so let me uh, see if I still have the controls for hyperspace, Andy. Uh, yes, I do. Let's see. Jump gate activated. All right, we're going into spoiler space. Um... I'll give you one. Let's see what you've got. I, I've got uh, the Techno Mages. A little, just a, it's a quick beyond what we talked about before is just that the three novels kind of give you backstory on Galen and Elric 
and I think Galen's girlfriend, who's a techno mage, and then there's a couple others. There's like one called Kel, I believe. And it's they, you get some backstory, but what we really kind of wanted by that point, because Crusade was gone, I think, when those came out, was we wanted more yeah. forward, you know? And you don't really get much beyond the show. So I wish there had been right. at least a fourth Technomage book that tried to carry Galen's and Elric's story forward. So, so my spoiler bit was um, the Technomage's use shadow technology for their yes their magic and that's why they were getting out of dodge because they rebelled against the shadows in ancient history the mm-hmm. technomages did because they were at one point in time either working for or slaves of the shadows and that is that's why they were getting the heck out of dodge because the shadows were coming back and they would be able to track them down by the use of their technology. I thought that was pretty cool. And I think maybe even pull it out of them or something and kill them right. basically, yeah. just skin them alive essentially. Yeah, they have they have like filaments of shadow tech running through their bodies that power their abilities. And then they also have sometimes an object like a staff that sort of is a focus for it. Right. Um, I'll tell you really quick. My Galen costume was a black trench coat with a hood that I had assembled and in the same way his looked and I got I made his staff I made Galen's staff I'll probably mention this again when we get to Crusade I got a cheap pool cue and sawed off the the felt tip sanded the whole thing down uh, painted it black used a silver paint marker to paint circuitry all over it hollowed out the thick end hollowed out a hole put a flashlight in it put half of a ping pong ball over that and it lit up the white part lit up and I walked around that's, Dragon Con that's awesome and the coolest thing was because it was a pool cue I could take it apart yeah I could <laughs> good I could for take, travel I could unscrew it yeah and make have two pieces and then put it back together I wish I knew that's what cool. I did with it I don't have that costume anymore I had to get rid of it when I moved to Singapore and I don't know whatever became of it I would love to put that back on and walk around Dragon Con anyway um Especially now that I really am bald, pretty much. I look much more like you. <laughs> uh, the only other thing I had is this is where things start to go very bad for Keffer because now he's going to start getting obsessed. But we know that's you know we know how that'll play out. And yeah. then I was and we, we talked in the pre-spoiler about seeing the explorer ship. I know we see an explorer ship in War Zone, the first episode of Crusade, because Gideon is captaining one before he gets transferred. I don't mm. know if there's another moment we see one. That's the only I one I can remember. I, I, I want to say there is, but. Uh, it seems uh, like there should be, but I can't think of right? it. Right. I know that, yeah, I know that there's the one in, in Crusade, but I don't remember. I want to say that there is, but I, for the life of me, I can't remember. I'm sure yeah. we'll, we'll point it out when it happens. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Well, that's all I've got. Any that's final thoughts on that? All right. Well, all right. So that'll bring us to a conclusion. We've got, and I think the timing worked out pretty well. Um, it did. Yeah. So two episodes seems to be the way to go. And like I said, we've got. Um, the Long Dark and Spider in the Web. Next time, it's going to be interesting to see what we find to talk about from those two. I guess we'll get on out of here. Remember, go to www.b5review.com and join up to uh, help us keep producing the shows. Andy, I hope you have a good uh, week ahead, and we'll talk to you soon. Sounds good, my friend. You do the same. All right. This has been a White Rocket Entertainment production.